Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Thank you. Can you hear me? There we go. Struggle with that mic because there's two different colors. One means mute and the other one means on. I'm colorblind, so they look the same to me. So, <laughs> well, how is everybody doing today? Blessed. Amen. You excited to be here today? Me too. Me too. I'm happy and honored that Pastor Travis asked me to bring the word today. I, I, him and and Pastor Tina mean a lot to me and my wife. Um, not, I mean, not being biased, they are my in-laws, so I don't, they're not forcing me to say that. But honestly, I, I, I love and adore those two, and, and I love the space that Pastor Travis has allowed me to, to step into ministry. And, you know, I don't get to do it as often as I want. I, I farm full-time, so during the summer months it kind of, I don't know, puts a little hold on a lot of stuff. But I'm excited to be here today. I'm happy to bring the word. I think this is a powerful word from God, and uh, I think it'll leave us all encouraged to step into our calling, to step into what God would have for us in our lives. But I pray um, that you guys would join me as I ask God um, for help this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for each and every person here today, Father. I ask that you would bless this word. Allow me to step out of the way because I have nothing good to say, God. There's nothing I can say that is good that comes out of my mouth, Lord. But I pray that you would be with me, speak through me, God, and let's hit the mark some way, somehow, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today's message is entitled, The Power That You Have. Pretty simple. The Power That You Have. That's a beautiful PowerPoint. Thank you, Susan. Uh, the Power That You Have. And I'm going to propose to you this morning that each and every one of us possess a power inside of us to do things above and beyond anything that we've ever imagined possible in our life. And that power is Jesus Christ. The power is Jesus Christ. God has called each and every one of us to do things that we've never thought we could do. I don't know if you knew it or not, but you have a calling upon your life. And today I'm going to encourage you to seek God and to find that calling because each and every one of us are called to do something by God to, to spread the love of God, to spread the, the name of Jesus Christ, to change this world for him. You know, I look at the Bible, and you can read this Bible, and I encourage everybody. Did anybody bring their Bible today? If you did, awesome. If not, it's on your phone. I encourage you today, today to take notes. But I, I think it's really important whenever I preach, I like everybody to bring their Bible and to follow along with me because I don't want anybody ever taking what I say as gold because I'm a person. Okay? I'm, a, I'm a human being, and I, I want to be held accountable. So follow along with me today. But as you read the Bible, you're going to find people that have been called by God to do some crazy things, to do some outrageous things for God, to, to, to spread the purpose that God wanted them to do, you know? A lot of people. These are great people of God. But you know one thing? They all struggled. They've all struggled like you and I with doubt. They all had that one thing in common, and that was that they all had zero power or ability to fulfill God's calling by themselves. They had zero ability to do the thing that God called them to do by themselves without God's help, without relying on Him and having faith in Him to do it. They also all struggled with faith. 
They all struggled with having the faith, but doubting God that he was actually calling them to do something and doubting their ability to do it. Just like you and I, doubt. But they realized eventually that their power came from God, that the power that was inside of them and the power that they had was from God. The power that you have. Today we're going to look at Abraham, we're going to look at Moses, and we're going to look at Gideon, talk about the disciples, and most importantly we're going to talk about Jesus. You know, Abraham, when God called him, his name was Abram. He was 75 years old, and he said, listen, Abram, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to set out on foot because I'm going to make you a father of a nation. Now, up to this point, Abraham didn't have any kids, right? He didn't have any children. He wasn't able to have a child. But God says, listen, you're going to be a father, and not just a father to a son. You're going to be a father of a nation. He turned to Moses. God said, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Israel. I'm going to use you to save them out of slavery and to tell Pharaoh, listen, you let my people go, and I'm going to use you to do it, and you're going to do powerful things. He turned to Gideon, who was thrashing wheat underneath the tree, and said, Gideon, God is with you, mighty warrior. Just a boy, God is with you, mighty warrior. And God said, I'm going to use you to save Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. But you know what 1 Samuel 15, 7 says? It says that the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so man looks at the inadequacies of people, right? What, what's the first thing that we do when we see somebody? Or when somebody comes up to you and they say, Oh, Bo, I'm, I, I think I want to start a business. <laughs> you can't even balance a checkbook, right? Oh, I'm going to go on a mission trip. You're scared to fly. But God, man looks at the inadequacies, but God looks at the heart and says, listen, you're unable to do what I'm calling you to do. You have zero ability, ability to do it, but I'm going to equip you to do it. God doesn't call the qualified, and this is cliche, but he doesn't call the qualified. He call, qualifies the called. The Bible says that God uses the foolish things of this life, the things, the people that, that, that society says, listen, they're not, they're not educated they're, they can't talk. They don't have the means to do it. God uses those types of people, those types of things. What's it say? He uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, to do powerful things. But how many of you know that when God calls us to do something, when he calls you and speaks to you, it comes with a struggle, right? It comes with a struggle. It comes with some doubt. It comes with some fear. And today we're going to look at the calling. Our first point today is looking at the initial calling when God speaks to your heart. You know that you know that you know that God has told you to do something. The calling. How many of you guys have ever experienced God speaking to your heart? You have a powerful time of prayer. You're in worship or you're in your car and God says, listen, I want you to, 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 to do something for me. Right? He calls you to do something. What's the first thing you do? Excuse. Excuse. Right? When God calls, man comes with an excuse. Well, God... God says, listen, I, I, uh, I, I, I think you should give your car to your neighbor. You know they're struggling a little bit. Maybe, you know, you got your car paid off. Why don't you bless them with that car? Well, God, I, <laughs> I was kind of using that car to go to work. I really don't have any other ride, right? Excuse. So when man has an excuse, God always has an answer. Always. All of these men that we're talking about, Moses, Abraham, Gideon, they all had an excuse when God called them to do something. God turned to Moses and said, or Moses turned to God and said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, listen, I want you to go save my people. And he comes up with an excuse, right? Who am I? Who am I to lead your people out of, Israel, or out of Egypt? And God replied, listen, I will be with you. 
That was God's answer. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So what's the sign from God? It wasn't, well, here's the sign. I'm going to send you a certified letter in the mail saying this is what you're going to do and here's everything I'm going to, that you need to do it, right? No, it was, well, the sign will be that after you do it, you'll be successful and you'll worship me on this mountain. That's my sign. To, that was God's sign to Moses. Kind of, kind of doesn't really get you excited to do something, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I want you to, to go and I want you to, to pray for that person. Okay, God, well, how do I know it's you that's sending me? I don't want to embarrass myself. Oh, you'll do it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Good sign, God. God turned to Gideon in Judges 6, 14 through 16. It says that God, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So there's the calling. What comes after the calling? The excuse. Gideon says, But Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I save Israel? I am the weakest in my clan in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God, I'm a nobody. You know, you know who you're talking to? I think you rang the wrong number, Lord. I'm a nobody. God says, nope. He said the same thing he told Moses. He said, he said I will be with you. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Man has an excuse. God has an answer, and that answer is that I will be with you. I'll be with you. When God spoke to Abram, he said, Listen, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and, a very, and your very great reward. Now, Abram, <laughs> he turned to God and said, Okay, cool, God, thank you. No, what he said was, Listen, God, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of Damascus? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. God, you've blessed me tremendously above and beyond anything I could expect in my lifetime. I've got great wealth. I've got land. I've got a great job. But I have no children. You haven't blessed me with any kids. So now everything I have is going to go to this servant in my household. How can you bless me? How can you be my reward? What can you give me? Because you haven't given me anything up to this point other than things I've got to give to my servant. And God said, listen, this man will not be your heir. Now, now, now Abram was 75 years old. How many of you in, in your 70s are expecting God to come to you and say, listen, it's probably about the time, you know, that you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at retirement age. I'm heading towards the, the last stage of my life, to, towards the end of it. I'm kind of done with everything. And God comes to you and says, listen, you're going to have a son. Right? He comes to Abram and says, listen, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So listen, you're an old man, but I'm still not done with you. Look up to heaven. All the stars, that's how many offspring you're going to have. You're going to be a father of a nation. And then after the calling comes the struggle. Because it's not easy to step into faith when God calls you to do something. All, the, all these men, we think of them as great men of the Bible. We think of them as, as people who, who trusted God without a, a single doubt, right? They stepped into faith and said, man, we're going to do it. We're going we're to walk in faith. We think of them as powerful people. But in reality, they were human. They were you and I. They struggled when God called them and said, listen, I want you to do this and that. Or I'm going to work through you and, and save people. They said, I don't think so. 
They struggled with that calling. These men had great faith in God, but they still struggled with the promise and they struggled with the call because doubt came in. Doubt. Anybody struggle with doubt? Me, I got two hands because I, I really struggle with doubt. They doubted that God had the ability to do it and do what he said he could. And so Abram in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1, it says, And now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. He had no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, <laughs> yeah, I bet he agreed. Uh, <laughs> I just, never mind. Uh, Lord, you made me this way. Uh, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife, and she, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So what happened? What happened? Abram began listening to the voices of other people. How many of you know that when God calls you to do something, the first thing the enemy does is come up behind you and starts speaking in your, in your ear a little bit, showing your inadequacies, doubting God? He did it in the garden, in the Garden of Eden where, where there were no police forces, there was no strife, there was no struggle, there was no sin. It was man in the presence of God. God said, you can have everything here, anything you want, but you cannot eat of that tree for you'll die. Right? You can't eat of that tree. And so what happens? Satan comes along and says, listen, did he really say you couldn't eat of that tree? I mean, come on. But he doesn't want to tell you is that if you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. And so they listened to that voice, and pretty soon sin entered the picture. And now we can thank that moment in history for the life that you're living today, the struggles that we have because it's called sin. Now we live in a broken world. And so Abram began to listen to the voice of his wife where his wife is saying, listen, we don't have a kid now. God said, I know he said you were going to have a son, but maybe Abram, maybe you weren't listening to him right. Maybe you misheard. So why don't we just say God isn't going to give us a kid and you can sleep with my maidservant. We'll take this into our own hands and do it. And he did it. He lost patience with God. And we can think, well, how could he? Shame on him. Well, listen, you and I do it every day. Rather than relying on God's timing, what happens? We begin relying on our timing. We oftentimes make the mistake in the Christian life of saying, because I'm saved, I'm going to be saved from every pain in this world. My life is going to be easy. Right? We say, well, God, you said, Lord Jesus, that you were going to be my Lord and Savior, and you would guide me. You would take me. You would give me life and life abundantly. But here I am. I got fired from my job because some virus hit that nobody expected. And apparently I'm not an essential worker anymore. And so now all I see is I'm jobless. I can't find a job. And I can see the end of my bank account. God, you promised my life would be easy when in fact he never did. Jesus himself said, in this life you're going to have struggles. But where man has an, a, a, a question or an issue, God has the answer. He said, listen, you're going to have trouble in this life. You're going to struggle. But in that struggle, I will be with you. So fear not. And so a lot of the times we just, all it is is we lose patience with God. I do this all the time and, and, I, and I realize who am I that I should, should, should take things into my own hand because I don't have the whole picture. I don't know what God has planned for me, so who am I to think, okay, he's, he promised me this, but I'm going to say it's going to happen now. Abram didn't. It didn't work out so good for him. When God promises something, God isn't a liar. 
God doesn't rely on your timing. He doesn't rely on my timing. It's up to him. But when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You know, Moses, when God spoke to Moses, he came to Moses in the craziest way. So Moses had, had, had fled, and he was, he was shepherding sheep, and I think he was like 80 years old. He was, he was older. So he's been out uh, being a shepherd, and all of a sudden he comes across a bush that's on fire, which probably back then, you know, in the middle of the desert, we have it happen here, might not be a big deal. Maybe there's a lightning storm or something. So he just walks up thinking it's kind of cool, and all of a sudden the bush starts talking to him. And he realizes the bush isn't burning. And, and I said this first service, but I'm sure what he was thinking when he walked up to that bush that wasn't burning, that was talking to him, he turned to his sheep and said, what was in that berry I just ate? Right? It's insane. But God began to speak to him and reveal himself to Moses, said, you're standing on holy ground, take off your shoes. I'm going to use you. I've heard the cry of my people out of Egypt, and I don't like that they're in slavery and they've been asking for somebody to come and do something. And God has the power, right? He has the power to change the circumstance in the instance. He could have killed Pharaoh, could have killed whatever it took, then whatever it took to lead those people out of slavery. But instead, he said, I'm going to use that shepherd out in the middle with the sheep. I'm going to speak to him in a crazy way. And I'm going to use him to deliver my people out of their bondage. And so Moses finally, you know, he's like, okay, I'm on fire now, Right? He's like, okay, God, you know what? I've, I've talked to you. I know this is you that told me that you're sending me, that I've got the power. Because up until now, Moses was using all kinds of excuses to get out of this. He said, God, uh, I'm a stutterer. I'm old. I can't do that. Could you send somebody else, please? Who am I? And God said, no, I'm using you. And so finally he's like, okay, let's go. And he gets to Pharaoh with Aaron, his brother, because Moses, you know, couldn't talk. So he used Aaron to speak to Pharaoh through him. They get up to Pharaoh, and, and you know he's expecting, okay, Pharaoh, God demanded that you let my people go. Our God says, let my people go so that they can go out and I can, you know, send them out of bondage. And he's expecting, thinking, okay, God sent me, so this is what's going to happen. Okay, I tell him this. Pharaoh's going to be like, oh, okay, um, oh, God wants it out. Okay, um, uh, Steve, could you, could you grab the Israelites? Let's just, let it, yeah, let them go. They're good. We're fine. Yeah, just leave their work. That's not what happened. What happened instead was Moses said, listen, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh looked at him, and you know, he looked him up and down and said, hmm, okay, well, I don't know this God. I don't know who he is. I don't know whose authority you come at me for. Remember, this is the ruler of the land. It's like going to the president or something. And he's like, you know what? No, I'm not letting them go. In fact, I'm going to make them work even harder. Because they were making bricks, and the way they made bricks was they would make straw into the mud to harden the bricks and bake in the sun. And instead, Pharaoh's like, you know what? No, I'm not letting them go. I don't know this God. In fact, they're going to work harder, and they're going to make the same amount of bricks, maybe even more. And this time, rather than me supplying the straw, they're going to have to go gather their own straw. And so Moses, you know, his bubble just burst right there. He had the faith, and he, he had the, the circumstances in his head, the way it was going to go, and it didn't go at all the way he planned, at all. You know how discouraging that is? Has anybody ever had that happen before? Where, where you knew, I've had it happen one time where God told me, listen, you need to go up to that person and you need to tell them, listen, I know the struggle they're going through. I know what's going on and I love them. And then offer to pray for them. I said, no, God, I'm not going to do that. That's embarrassing. What if they say, no, no, just, just do it. Just do it. So I did it. You know what happened? I got a, <laughs> there's no God. I don't believe in God, and walked away. 
hmm, thanks, God, that was really embarrassing. I look like a fool. But little do I know, and I've never saw that person again, little do I know God was probably planting a seed in that person's heart, right? I was just, just part of the process of God transforming that life, planting that seed little by little until there's a plant that comes off and they turn their life to Jesus. I was listening to a pastor down in Houston, Texas, who was talking about his childhood. He was raised with an alcoholic father uh, uh, who would cheat on his wife, really just a, a, a tough, you name it, just a tough childhood. It was almost aborted twice in the womb. Uh, no money, just terrible, hard, hard time growing up. But he said every week they would take their food stamps and they would go to the same grocery store, same time, same day, every week, week after week after week. And all of a sudden, one week, an older woman who he said was about 70 to 73 years old walked up to his mom and said, listen, God loves you and God has a calling on your kids' life and they're going to do amazing things in the name of Jesus, to, to, you know, and they've got a calling on their life and God loves you and wants to be there for you and everything's going to be okay. What do you think happened? The mom turned to, turned to that lady and said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, what she did was she looked at that woman and said, God doesn't want people like us. God doesn't use people like me. He doesn't love us. Same thing that happened to Moses. But you know what happened was God used that, that woman to plant a seed in this pastor's family, into his mother's heart. Pretty soon his mom took that seed and that seed began to grow and God began to speak to her and she, they found themselves in church praying. She gave her heart to Jesus. The kids got involved in church. She started praying for her husband. Her husband became radically saved from alcoholism from all the other issues that he had and began going to church and they began to become involved in the church. And now he's a pastor. His brother's a pastor. His other sibling's a pastor. Saving thousands of people because that woman decided that, listen, uh, God's not done with me yet. You know how easy it is at that age to say, listen, God's done with me. God, what can you do to use me anymore, Lord? I'm just going to sit on my ha hands, and I'm going to, to wait this out until you call me home. But instead, she woke up and said, listen, God, you're not done with me yet. Open up doors. Open up an opportunity to use me somehow, somehow to show the love of Christ. And she did it, and she planted a seed. And now people's lives are radically transformed because of that seed she planted. And that's what happened to Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh one time and, 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 and got completely blown off. And things got even worse. And he turns to God and he says, Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is, it, is this why you sent me ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He's brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued these people at all. He's frustrated with God. Because he, had, he thought he had faith. He thought he knew what he was doing. And then all of a sudden his dreams are blown and that faith that he had is crushed down to nothing. And now he's doubting God and saying, listen, is that who you are, God? You're a God that sends me to ruin people's lives? Was that your plan all along? I mean, we can look at this and we can blame Moses and say, listen, Moses, you just didn't have the faith. You should have believed God because he was going to save. He had a plan right? And we only know that because we can read the next couple chapters in the rest of the book and find out that, that, yeah, God used Moses in amazing ways. You know, plagues happened. They got let out. The seas parted. But we do the same thing in our lives. The same thing in our lives. When God calls us to do something and it doesn't happen the way we think that it should happen or the way that God said it was going to happen or the way we thought he said it was going to happen. We do the same thing with God. God promises you something and you think that life will be easy. 
Well, God, you said this. God, you said that. Why did you make me leave this job? Because you said I should leave my job, and now I've left the job, and now I'm stuck, and the bank account is at zero, and my mortgage is due. Well, God still has a plan. A lot of the times, you know, we make this uh, mistake of thinking that, that, that God is just going to work on our lives in an instant, right? When he says he's going to do something, it's going to be right now, but it's not our timing, it's his timing. It's not our job to figure out the whole picture. Because, in fact, I think that if God told us the whole picture, I think if God told you where you're going to be in 30 years, you'd be scared to death. Right? If God would have told me um, uh, about 10 years ago the things that would happen in my life in the last decade, I would just lay down and ask him to come back right now. You don't want to see the whole picture, I don't think. But it's not our job to, even if we, if we thought we could figure out, it's not our job to figure out where God's taking us or what's going to happen. If God tells you to do something, you quit looking at the, rea- at the reality of, the, of what you think is the reality. Quit looking at the facts and look at God and say, listen, God, the facts say you want me to move somewhere. The facts say that, there's, that I can't afford the house costs in the next city you're taking me to. You want me to go on a mission? Well, the facts say I don't have the money to even buy the plane ticket to get on to the plane to get on the mission. Quit looking at the facts and just trust in him and say, listen, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but God, I'm yours. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. You look at Gideon. Gideon, it says that God showed up to Gideon while he was thrashing wheat and said, listen, God is with you, mighty warrior. God is with you, mighty warrior. And and it says that, that Gideon turned to him and said, the Lord isn't with us. The Lord isn't with me. If he was with me, we wouldn't be suffering by the hands of the Midianites. He'd deliver us out of their, of their rule, of their hand. God isn't with me. And he said again, God is with you, mighty warrior. And then he told Gideon, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of the hands of the Midianites because I've heard their calling and their cries. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hands as you have promised, Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor, and if there's dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that it is you that will, I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, and that is what happened. And so he starts doubting God. He says, okay, God, listen, you've called me, and, um, but I, I, I kind of need a sign. This is a man who literally saw God, the angel of the Lord, face to face, to the point where he cries out and says, oh, I've seen the face of God, and he falls down on his face because he thinks he's going to die, and the angel's like, no, you're not going to die. Stand up. He's seen God face to face, and he's still saying, listen, God, you've called me, but I need a sign. Show me a sign. He says, and he says he lays the fleece down, right? The fleece is wet. The ground is dry. Okay, cool. There's a sign, God. I know that was you. And then... He turns to God and says, okay, okay. In verse 39, do not be angry with me. Um, let me make just one more request. Uh, allow me one more test, right, with the fleece. And you know that God's thinking, oh, you're kidding me right now. You're kidding me. I do, was that enough that I showed up and now I did a test? You want me to do another one? And he says, just don't be angry with me. Let's do one more test with this fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And it says that that night God did so. And so God, uh, Gideon doubted God, and he doubted himself. He doubted that God was actually calling him to do this, and he needed a sign. And God, out of his grace and out of his mercy, looked past Gideon's doubt, and he gave him grace and said, okay, here's your sign. Here's your sign. And eventually God prevailed on his promises. And so I'm here to tell you today that it's okay to have doubts. 
lot of people will tell you, you, you can't doubt. You just got to have faith in Jesus. Just have faith in Jesus. Listen, faith is, is amazing, right? It's great to have faith, but it's okay to have doubt. But what it's not okay to do is to keep on doubting. This book is filled from page to page of people called by God who had doubt, who struggled with issues, who struggled with their uh, inadequacies, thinking, well, I'm not good enough to do what God's calling me to do, right? But they didn't just stop. They didn't keep on doubting. They didn't say, well, God, you can't do that, so see ya. They didn't. What they did was they realized, listen, God is a God of, of power, whether it took God showing them a sign or whether it took just stepping out in faith. It's okay to, keep, to have doubts, but it's not okay to keep on doubting because eventually when God calls you to do something, he's expecting you to step out and start walking in faith. He expects you to have faith and to get rid of that doubt because Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what is doubt? What is doubt? Doubt is nothing more than the enemy coming in and, so, and taking that seed, that, that calling that God placed in your life and reminding you, trying to remind you of who you are or who you've been. More, I guess, of who you've been, right? God says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to start a small group. I want you to start a Bible study in your home. Invite people into your home, and, and we're going we're gonna to just fellowship, and, and lives are going to be changed through you because there's people that need to hear the Word of God and to get into a, into a study, and you say, okay, God, and then all of a sudden you start hearing the voice, whether it's the voice of other people speaking into your life or it's the voice of the enemy. The Bible says the enemy, which is Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So he comes in and he starts pulling that, that word that God placed in your heart, that seed out one by one. I think of, of replanting sugar beets. Anybody, is there a farmer? Any, anybody farming around here? I'm the only crazy guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I think of replanting sugar beets. This year has been a really tough year for farmers that raise sugar beets because uh, if the frost didn't kill them, it got too dry, or birds, or rain, just all kinds of crazy things. Normally, you plant your sugar beets and you hope that you maybe have to replant one time at the most. There's, some of my neighbors have been, I've, I think I was on three or four times. Some guys are three, four, five, six times of replanting sugar beets. But when you replant the sugar beet, if you've ever seen a seed, it's just a tiny little uh, it's blue because there's some junk on it, but it's just a teeny tiny little seed. And so you plant that seed, and when I, re when I replant, I like to get it just, you know, normally instead of three-quarters of an inch like I would in the spring, I try to get it just a quarter inch below the soil so it pops up a little bit quicker. But the dangers of doing that is you have to make sure you seal that ground up enough because if you don't, birds, voles, mice will literally smell that seed in the ground that you placed, and they'll come out and start stealing that seed out of the ground that you replanted. Start robbing your seed. It's the same thing the enemy does. God calls you. He plants that seed in the ground. Boom. He expects that thing to grow and to grow and do things that are above and beyond anything you expect. And pretty soon, the enemy comes bringing people. And sometimes it's your spouse. It's your friend. People that you trust. Or just a voice in your heart. It begins saying, listen, you're a nobody. You think you can start a Bible study? You haven't opened your Bible in a year. You're, you, you lie all the time. You embezzled money from that company. You remember what you said to so-and-so? But it's our job to come in and start sealing that soil down so we can block the enemy from stealing our seed, right? And we start taking it back and saying, no, no, I can do all things through Christ. Greater is he who is in me. Give me that back, please. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes, right? We start taking that seed back. It's our job to seal that soil and remind ourselves and the enemy who we are in Christ, 
We're not, listen, I don't care what your past is. I know some of you guys, you guys had a crazy past. But that's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. So when the enemy starts reminding you and when other people start reminding you of who you used to be, you remind them of who you are in Christ. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a new creation. That's not who I was. God's taken my sin. He's casted it as far as the east is from the west, forgotten about it completely. I'm not fishing in that pond anymore. You start reminding them and the enemy who you are, and you remind that enemy of where he's going. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, all these men had this one thing in common, and that is that they struggled with doubt and they struggled with fear, just like you and I. That's what I love about this Bible. These books, these, these are stories. These are people who lived thousands of years ago, but they're still relatable because man is a man is a man. We all struggle with doubt when God calls us to do something. They struggled with doubt. They struggled with fear. And they all said to themselves, and they told God, they said, listen, I don't possess the qualities that you say that I have. God came to them and said, you're a, he came to, get, came to Gideon and said, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon says, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. It's time that we start realizing who God's calling you and what God's calling you and who he says you are, and we start walking in that. We start walking in that. They said they didn't possess the things God said that they have, but you know what? God doesn't look at the outside appearance. Let me tell you, Gideon was the least of his family. He was the, the lowest in his clan. He was just a boy. Moses was a stutterer. Moses couldn't talk. Moses was old. Abraham couldn't have children. You look at them and think, your, your days are past. Is it snow in the Sahara? I don't think so. Days are gone. Uh, it might, I don't know. Anyway, but God doesn't look at the outside appearance as man does. He looks at the heart. There's a cliche saying that says, God doesn't or call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God looks at you and sees things that other people don't, that you don't even see that in yourself. He wants your faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. He wants you to feel uncomfortable when he calls you. I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't want me to be comfortable because it seems like when I'm comfortable and when I'm content and what I'm doing, I'm probably not doing what God's calling me to do. This up on here, me doing this today, I am so far out of my comfort zone, you have no idea. No idea. Bo Stevenson without Jesus, without the power of God, without walking in the calling of Christ, me alone, um, an introvert, I'm awkward in conversations, I, I, I'm grouchy, I'm a, I'm a so-and-so, I, I, can, I can be a jerk. Listen, I'm so far out of my comfort zone. I had a panic attack before first service in the back, walked around the prayer room, and I said, God, I can't do this. Why do you do this to me? I, every time I do a funeral or I preach, I'm always like, God, I can't do this. Why? But I know that God's calling me to do something, and so I stand out, and I say, okay, God, you've got to equip me. I can't talk, but you're going to help me to do so. And I begin to walk in that calling. All these men that had doubt also had faith. They stepped out in faith. They began to walk that out. You know, Abram, when God calls him to leave his country, he was an old man. He could have died of, of a heat stroke on the road walking out of his house, right? Gideon could have been slaughtered by the army. Maybe he didn't hear God's voice, right? He could have been slaughtered by the army. Moses could have been killed on the spot the moment he came to Pharaoh and said, you let my people go. He could have been killed on the spot. But they all had faith, knowing that God was actually calling them and that they could do what he said he, they could do because they had the power of God backing them and leading them. You know, I think of people like Billy Graham. Anybody know? Anybody, anybody heard of this guy like Billy Graham? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, some young people probably don't, haven't really heard of him. Uh, Billy Graham was a, an American preacher who, who was radically saved in the 30s. And, and, and actually, I was watching a documentary. He didn't really want to be a preacher. 
He knew that God had a calling on his life to be an evangelist, but he struggled with that because he didn't really want to do it. Until one day, he finally said, he said there wasn't some powerful uh, light from heaven, uh, body chills shaking. It wasn't some powerful movement, but he said it was powerful in the way that the Holy Spirit came and touched on his heart and said, listen, I need you to trust me. And so he says he knelt down on the ground and he turned to God and he said, listen, I'll be who you say I am. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll never change. And that prayer there, how many of you know, changed the lives of millions of people? He preached to two, in person the gospel and shared the love of Christ to 210 million people in person. But he said even in that, towards the end of his career, end of his life, he said he, every time he would go on stage, he struggled with anxiety, he struggled with, with voices telling him that he's not good enough, that he can't do this. Millions of people up to this point, he said, every time he would think, I'm not good enough to do this because he would be so worried that he would say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Honestly, Billy Graham probably without Jesus would have done all that. But rather than sitting with doubt and saying, listen, I'm not going to do this. Somebody else is going to have to step up and take this torch. Uh, I can't do it. Instead of doing that and doubting God, he said, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it and you're going to use me to do it, so let's step out and let's do this thing. So at some point, we've got to stop doubting God and start stepping out in faith. A lot of us have what I call the, the someday mentality, right? The someday mentality. Well, someday... When I have a job that pays a little more, I'll be able to give a little, you know, maybe I'll start tithing. Someday, someday when I retire, I'll go on missions trips. Someday when I have a better house I'll, 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 with a little more room, I'll start a life group. Someday cannot wait. Someday needs to be today. We can't wait for someday. Because guess what? The Bible says that if a, if a farmer waits, you know, looks, keeps looking at the sky and waits for the perfect day, he'll never plant. If he waits for the perfect weather, he'll never harvest. Someday has got to be today. Get out of that someday mentality and realize that God's calling you to move and he wants you to move now. doesn't matter where you're at in life. When God says move, you move. So we've looked at the calling when God calls us. We've, we've looked at that. Now we've looked at what happens usually after he calls us, the struggle. But now it's time to get past the struggle and realize that God is a God on the throne, that God loves me. You know, he's not leading me to embarrass me. He's using you to do powerful things. And so now we're past the struggle. Now we've got to start walking in the faith. And so the third point today is we're going to look at the faith aspect of the call. Turn your Bibles to Mark 6, starting in verse 30. Now verse 30, this is the feeding of the 5,000. And I do not, I've got to have, open up my Bible here. Okay, so Mark, verse 30, 630. It says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not, uh, oh, hold on, were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got, ahead of, or got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, it says that by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, Lord, and it's already very late. So send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
So, Lord, they got to eat. I mean, it's getting late. Why don't you send them away? They're not going to leave unless you tell them to go grab something to eat. And Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Well, Lord, no, no, no. no. Uh, the crowd, if, not us. We weren't talking about us. Sorry, Lord, you misheard us. Uh, you send the people around to go get something to eat. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And you know these, the apostles were thinking, oh, this guy's getting crazy. There's 5,000 men out there that are needing something to eat, and he asked us to feed them. Jesus knew that he had the power in an instant, right, to feed these people, to do what he wanted them to do. But he wanted the, the, the disciples to walk in faith because God, God, listen, God has the power and the ability to do anything he wants to do, but he uses you and I, right, to do miracles. Why does he do that? He does that because not only does it make us to get out of our comfort zone and cause us to start walking in faith, but it builds our faith, right? It builds our faith knowing every time I do something and, and I see that God's seen me through that and that he did perform a miracle, it builds my faith and it builds the faith of those around. And so he knew that he could, he could do anything he wanted, but he wanted the apostles to give them food. He knew that they didn't have enough food. It was, it's not like, not like he was telling them, you go feed them, thinking, oh, they have this big old cash store of, of food to feed these guys. He knew they didn't have the ability. He knew they couldn't afford to pay for enough food for everybody. And the apostles said to him, listen, that would take more than half a year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Like, you expect me, God. Okay, you want me to feed them? You expect me to take half of my year's worth of money so I'll live without food, without housing, without the things that I need for half a year to feed these guys one time? Why, when they could go out and probably find their own thing to eat? Jesus said, you feed them. So Jesus turns to them and says, how many, how many loaves do you have? Right? He turns to them and says, how many loaves do you have? To these doubting men who at this point, it's not like they've never seen Jesus do any miracle at all. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen Jesus heal people people who are paralyzed, turn water into wine, so they know that he has the power and the ability to do something that he said he'll do. So he says, listen, how many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to have, or to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves, two fishes, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And this is the crazy part. The disciples went around with baskets, said they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of fish and bread. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000 men. Now listen, back then they didn't count the women and children. So you figure each, each person has, you know, half, or half of the men have a wife. And half of those have kids. We're talking, you know, 8, 9, 10, 15, 20,000 people that they fed. And they still had more than what they had given in the beginning left over. God isn't interested in waiting until you have enough food to feed the 5,000 people. He wants you to bring him what you have. He's interested in what you have. He'll take what you have right now, today, not someday, but right now what you have. And he'll use it to do things above and beyond anything you can imagine. He said, how many loaves do you have? They ended up with, with twice as much as they had before or more, way more. 
So get out of that someday mentality. Get out of that someday mentality. I'll someday I will uh, I'll, I'll I'll do this or that. Listen, someday is right now. God says, "Give me what you have." I don't I don't need you to wait until you think you're ready. I think you're ready. I'm going to equip you to do it. So get up and do it. All of us have a calling on our lives. We all have a calling on our lives. Some of you might think, well, listen, Bo, I don't. Well, listen, if you've given your life to Jesus, we all have, I believe that we all have a unique calling that God has placed on our lives, but we also have a common calling, and that is to go and preach the gospel. Right? Well, Bo, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I've never been to, been to Bible school, or, you know, I, I can't do this. Well, listen, it's not about, about, you know, preaching the gospel all the time and being weird about it. It's about going into your life. He said, go and preach the gospel. But the translation actually says, as you go in the original text. As you go, which means as you go to your job, right? As you, some of us are called, the Bible says, to be pastors, to be preachers, to be apostles. We're called to be teachers, farmers, lawyers, clerks, mechanics. So as you go into your daily life, preach the gospel. And it doesn't have to be, oh, Lord, thank you for this customer I got in here, Lord. I pray that you would bless them. It doesn't have to be weird like that. It can be. Lord, thank you, Jesus. Anyways, about going, as you go in your voice, in your actions, in your lifestyle, preaching the gospel. Recently, I, we, we did some business with a guy and about a week or two later, he called me and said, hey, hey, do you, you do ministry a little bit, don't you? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I do, over in, you know, in Rupert and stuff. And he said, I thought so because I was talking to somebody because I, had, because he, I bought a combine. And he said, I was talking to him because there was something different about this guy that bought this combine. He wasn't just a regular old person buying something. And, and he said, they brought up, you know, you or somehow they knew me. But he said, listen, I knew there was something different about you. That's what it's all about. I never said, listen, before I buy this thing, I need you to get down on your knees. I need you to, to give your life to Christ or else I, there's no deal here, right? I didn't take my Bible and <laughs> shake his hand and smack him across the face with it. It was about just being who you are, living, living for Jesus in your daily life. So as you go preach the gospel, you don't have to be qualified to preach. Just live your life for Christ and people are going to start taking notice. And then be prepared because it's inevitable when somebody says, listen, I've seen you go through some of the darkest times in your life, but yet you still have joy and you still have hope. What is that all about? Because people are going to start questioning. And the Bible says always be prepared to have an answer for the faith that lies within you. Always be prepared. And that, it's just as simple as saying, well, you know, in, the, in uh, John 3.16, it said, God so loved the world. You know, it's just saying, listen, I, this is what I've been through. This is the troubles I had in my life. And this is what God did through me and did for me. That's it. Get rid of the someday mentality. Get rid of the doubt. It's okay, I'm telling you. Don't feel like you're the worst Christian in the world or the worst person in the world because you doubt God is calling you to do something. But don't keep doubting. Step into faith and trust God. Trust God. Quit that same day man, or someday mentality and just allow God to use what you have to do what he wants. You know, I downloaded the, the TikTok app, shamefully. Oh, I know. That's how I feel sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea what it was. You know, back in the kids' zone, in the kids area, teaching kids, these kids are all about TikToking, being on TikTok. And it's like, <laughs> come up, hey, hey, Bo, you, you got a TikTok? What's your TikTok? I, don't, I got a clock. Like, I, I don't know. So I downloaded that thing, uh, the lawless swamp of a place that TikTok is that I found. The one thing that I found on that, the thing, uh, it pops up video after video after video of people that are looking for affirmation from other people. 
when I realize that there's a world out there that, that needs to know who Jesus is, that are, they're looking, actively searching and looking for something. They're trying to find it in politicians. They're trying to find it, and I don't care which side of politicians. You, your happiness doesn't rely on anybody besides Jesus, which is a simple note. Uh, they're looking for somebody to fill that hole, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's likes, whether it's, it's people commenting or saying, hey, I got you back, you know. Listen, I just want to get on there and just tell people, listen, the only hope that you have in this world is Jesus. There's nothing in this world that will fill that hole that you're looking for. It's kind of a Christian thing, Christianese to say, well, what's going to fill that hole in your heart? Jesus. you got a God-sized hole in your heart. Listen, it's more than just a God-sized hole. You cannot run this life. It's not normal People in this world will say, well, it's normal to be drowning in your debt. It's normal to always be struggling with anxiety. It's normal to have depression. It's just normal. It's part of being a human. That's not normal. It's normal as a human, but it doesn't have to be your normal. Because Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so this world is looking for, for somebody to fill that hole and to fill that gap. And we're called as a church to do that. We're called to go and preach the gospel. We don't just gather here because it's something that we're supposed to do. Let me tell you something. If you've came to church thinking that this is going to save you and get you into heaven, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's not. That's called religion. And I'm going to be quite frank and probably make a lot of people a little upset with me online or on here. I hate religion. I hate it. You know why? Because religion says you have, to, you have to go and knock on so many doors and tell people to come to church. You have to go to church every Sunday. You have to give all your money away. You have to do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. That's what religion says. Jesus says, call upon my name, and you'll be saved. Right? It's by grace that we're saved, not works. There's nothing you can do to get yourself into heaven. And, and so as the body of Christ, that's what we're called to do. We're the church. This building, the, all this stuff, this isn't the church. This is a building. This is a building. This could burn down tomorrow and Grace Church would still be here. We're the church, the body of Christ. And we're all called to a unique purpose. It says that, you know, can an eye or a hand, well, I don't, uh, you're going to forgive me, but it's basically can it, we're the body of Christ. Some are called to be hands. Some are called to be noses. Some are called to be feet. The feet can't say to the hand because I'm not a hand. I'm going to cut myself off and I can't be used. You have a unique purpose. And it's time that we quit sitting on our hands. I don't care if you are, are 10 years old. That's the thing I struggle with. I'm too young. Nobody's going to listen to you. You're too young. Set an example, right? First Timothy, was it 1 Timothy 4.12. I don't care if you're young, you're old. You're on your deathbed. God can use you. So we've got to actively search for opportunities and start showing this world that, listen, there is a God who loves them and that they're not going to find their satisfaction or their love or, or, or in people or in sex or in, in money or in, or in objects, right, or in technology. That love and that faith can or that, that grace and that, that thing that we're searching for in this world can only come from Christ. And if we have the answer, why are we sitting back and not doing it? Well, someday I'm going to do it. No, no, someday's not good enough. Someday's not good enough. Today needs to be your someday. God has brought you to Grace Church today to tell you that it's time to move. You think, well, I, I just showed up here, you know. I, I had nothing else to do. No, you didn't show up on here on accident. God has called you to this place. And you're thinking, well, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you know nothing about what I'm talking about. And everything, Abraham, Gideon, Moses, all these people were just crazy talk because you have no idea about it. And you're thinking, there's this crazy guy up on stage that's preaching this Jesus who's come back to life, who died on a cross for me, I don't think so. can't be that easy. Let me tell you, there's a God that loves you. You don't have to deal with the stuff that you're dealing with alone. 
You know, the Bible says it's a, it's a quote that is, that is quoted. It's a verse that's quoted a lot in the Bible. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? That he gave his one and only son for, to die on a cross for you, right? To forgive you of your sins. That's the gospel. But I want you to go in your Bible, go to John 3.16, and I want you to make it personal. Because he died for you. He didn't die just for me. He died for you. You don't have to deal with what you're dealing with alone. God can come in and change your life. There's a God that loves you. Loves you enough to give his one and only son. And I, I you know, growing up in a Christian household, I, I understood that God gave his son for me, but I didn't understand the gravity of that until I became a father. I can tell you something. There's not a single one of you. I love all of you guys. I don't know some of y'all, but I love you. But I'm not giving my son up for you. I'm sorry. At all. I didn't understand the love of a father until I became a father of my own. And so now, John 3.16, when it says that God gave his son for me, that changes my whole perspective. Who am I that God should die for me? Bo Stevenson should, should go. Bo Stevenson wasn't worth dying for, I can tell you that. You're not worth dying for. Because guess what? You're imperfect. You are a messed up person. You have done things in your past that you regret and probably rightfully so. But listen, God can take that past. He doesn't care while man looks at the outside and says, you are this and this and that. God says, no, you give your heart to me. You're a new creation, a new creature. The Bible says, everybody, you know, it's appointed once for a man to die. Statistics say, and there's really reliable statistics, but it says that 10 out of 10 people will die. Every person you've ever encountered is going to end up either in an urn full of ashes, or they're going to be down in the bottom of the ocean, or they're going to be six feet in the ground. And that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. We do live on forever. And now the decision is up to you to say, listen, I'm tired of living in my junk. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of doing this on my own. This guy says, this crazy guy, and you're right, I am crazy, but I'm crazy for Christ. Because God has done things in my life that, that I, I, should have, I, I should have been dead probably. And I believe that I've been in the darkest places in my life. And if God wasn't there, I can tell you that would have been the end for me. God can do the same thing that he's done for me in your life. So there's this crazy guy saying, give my life to Jesus. It can't be that easy as just saying, listen, you know, be my Lord and Savior. Well, listen, I ask you, who is it easy for? Easy for us because Jesus had to go through the pain. There were real nails nailed into a real cross with real bloodshed, right? But he was put in that tomb. Three days later, he was risen from the dead as he says he would, as he would be as a sacrifice for your sins. And so it's as easy as saying, listen, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner because the Bible says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living in my junk, Lord. This guy says that if I give my heart to you, that everything will, that you'll be with me and you'll walk through me and we'll walk in faith and it's true. And so if you join me in prayer as we begin to close out today. Lord, I pray, God, that today you would be with us, Lord. I thank you for today's service, Father, and the word that you brought, God. I ask in the name of Jesus that you, you would begin to manifest yourself in this building to right now, Lord, and speak to us, Holy Spirit, as we begin to, 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 to hear your voice, Lord. If there's anybody here, God, that, that thinks they've, they, you know, they've never heard the word of the Lord, they don't know who you are, God, I pray right now that they would pray this prayer with me, God. Not out of a, not out of a, 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 a I have to do this or any obligation, Lord, but because you've spoken to their heart, God. Right now, I pray, Lord, that you would, be our Lord and Savior, God. You know what? I, I, I Bo Stevenson, am a sinner, God. And I'm tired of living this life on my own. 
I'm tired of trying to figure out my own problems when all i got to turn is to you, Lord. You said you'd forgive me of my sins. You died on that cross. Lord, be my Lord and Savior and help me as I walk forward, God, because I'm going to be who you want me to be. I'm going to do what you say you want me to do, and I will never change from that, God. I pray that you would help us to all step into our calling, God, whatever that might be, Lord. I, I, I trust that you're going to show it to us, Lord, in the next few days, weeks, months, whatever it's going to take, God. But speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to fulfill that calling and to step into it so that we can reach this world for the gospel of Christ, God. We don't, we don't passionately seek and spread the gospel because it's something that's going to get us into heaven, Lord, but we do it because we understand the power of God, Lord. We understand, Lord, that, that you love us enough to die for me, God, and that you can change our life, Lord, because we've all been through our own junk, Lord. We've all been through things that we, we, we knew we weren't going to make it through, but God, it was at those, those moments, Lord, that you radically came in and you transformed our lives, and now we're walking with you, Lord, and I pray that we would never sit down and never doubt or ever say, listen, oh, I'm not going to do that because so-and-so has already done that, Lord. We're trusting in you, Father God. Pray that you'd bless the rest of our service. Keep us safe, Lord, through the week, Lord, and ask that we'd arrive back here next Sunday safe and sound. And we give you all power, honor, and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.